Episode 12 of the Punch Drunk Podcast. This is Patrick J. here in Pittsburgh, along with Andy G. in Minneapolis. What's up? Uh, we've got a quick rundown of the season so far and all two games of it. The Wolves are winning at a percentage of 1,000, 2-0. and zero. Uh, So far, we have a Rookie of the Year candidate, a MVP candidate, maybe, and Ricky Rubio. Again, sample size issues. Uh We've got a new coach, Sam Mitchell. We've got a recently deceased coach, unfortunately, um, Flip Saunders, who built a lot of what we have right now and will doubtless be looking back on. And he was remembered today. So RIP to Flip. And um, and so, yeah, I wanted to just toss it over to you and, and you know, ask what your takeaways are you know, just from the, the start of the season and the, the first two games, which have been very different from each other, I would say, but both have led to victories. Right. No, that that's that's absolutely right. The first game was at Staples Center where the Wolves opened up against the Lakers on Wednesday night. It was a really late game, but I think a lot of Wolves fans did their best to stay up past uh, midnight central time because it was such an exciting comeback win. The Wolves ended up pulling it out by one point. Um, the big takeaway from the opener was Ricky Rubio. Um, MVP. MVP, yeah. He had 28 points, 14 assists, and only one turnover. The big the big um, noteworthy part of that for Rubio is the 28 points because it was a career high and because everybody knows scoring is the one thing that he needs to improve at if he's ever going to take another step and really put himself in the conversation for things like all-star teams and the kind of guy that can be considered a, a franchise pillar on a and a contending type team instead of sort of the bad to mediocre teams that the Wolves have had, despite his uh, his pretty effective play in a lot of other ways. So, 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 so what did you make of that? Given it's the same team that Zach Levine sort of broke out um, against last year when he scored his twenty eight point, I think still career high, unless he no, he had thirty seven against the Warriors. Right, he had, sorry, thirty seven against the Warriors, but which let's is think insane. About it. But let's not get out. Yeah, <laughs> Ricky's and Zach's breakout games. Uh, I think both at Staples and uh, against uh, pretty marginal defense. Yeah, uh, I, don't, I guess yeah, I don't so, think so that. What would you would you see in terms of Ricky's shot selection, confidence, things that we'd expect to carry over uh, across games? Right, the things that he needs to do to be a, like a consistent threat on offense. Did you see or do you see evidence of that? I guess from the first two games, uh, we're talking about the Lakers right now, but I think we can expand it. Yeah, you know the Lakers thing. The idea that they're bad on defense for the things that Ricky Rubio needs to do. I don't think that uh, the Lakers, perhaps being a bad defensive team, which they almost certainly are, they gave up a ton of points to Sacramento uh, in their second game. Sacramento might not even be all that great of an offensive team, but they scored like 130 or more on the on the Lakers. But Rubio needs to just knock down shots that are given to him, and to this point in his career, they have been given to him by any team so it's not like it matters if it's a good team or a bad team he just needs to have the confidence to pull the trigger when he's open and he was doing that against the lakers he hit um he had many jump shots off the dribble three pointers he's kind of mixed it all together he had some layups when the situation called for a drive um 
yeah, he was two of four from downtown, 10 of 17 from the field, six of seven from the line. But he just looked like he had an overall command of the whole game. He made like the 14 assists speak for themselves. That's nothing new with Ricky. He'll probably be one of the league leaders in assists this year. But just hitting shots that are open to him will cause everything to open up for the whole Wolves offense. Yeah, I mean, the most encouraging thing to me about Ricky's uh, his shooting in that game in particular, but uh, his sort of approach so far is that it resembles what we saw last year before he, he came back and was in, injured again in that he looks like what he's looking for on offense is for the shots. You know, he, he's looking to get into the rhythm that he needs to get into to make the shots that are given to him. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily that he's looking to, you know, to be the best uh, corner three shooter. You know, he's not a specialist. He never will be. But I think that he, yeah, it might be a credit uh, from the work that he's gotten from uh, the Wolves' assistant coaches, uh, Mike Penberthy, among others, and actually I'm kind of understanding the the intricacies of this, um, you know, this sort of, offense it looks like we're still running to a large degree that a lot of people have problems with because he still ends up pulling up for a lot of say 17 18 footers but he's making them he's making them in rhythm and i think that's given sort of the bounds of the scope that he's working in right now for the in terms of the offense basically as much as you could ask for from from him so i I, yeah i'm really encouraged by the improvement that we've seen in terms of his shooting his aggressiveness on offense I mean, I think he understands what they're trying to do, for better or worse. Yeah, no, it seems it's, like it's been okay. his It's been his offense, too, which is a key to the whole Timberwolves offensive season because they need to scrap everything they did last year, just about everything, um, maybe post up Wiggins once in a while. But even that's, that's happening way too much, and we can talk about that again when we get over to the next game. But Ricky Rubio, generally speaking, when he's been on the court, has been running the offense. There's been quite a few more ball screens than we saw in the preseason, at least. That's just my eye test. I think that's probably true. I could be wrong, but it seems like once the real NBA season starts, a lot of the things that you maybe planned on doing or thought it kind of idealized version of how the season was going to go, they kind of get tossed aside relatively quickly once the speed is up to full NBA speed and the meaning, the, the stakes of the game actually have meaning. Uh, you kind of have to fall back on sort of your fail safes, uh, yeah. all caps. And uh, yeah, and for the Timberwolves, their fail safe is give the ball to Ricky Rubio, give him a ball screen, let him survey the floor, and you know try to make smart cuts or or just be standing in the right place, and you'll probably get at least a decent shot. Sometimes a great shot like an uncontested layup. But that was a hell of a Ricky Rubio game that they opened with, and that's if we get if we get th- that Ricky Rubio more often than not, uh, the, the Wolves are going to win more than people expect, and their so, future is going to be even brighter than people thought. So we won by one point, uh, and it was uh, it was in some ways a very lucky one point victory in uh, the the game winning potential game winning shot. Um, that the Lakers missed, and uh, and we I think we both expect to see Lou Williams making that shot probably eight times out of ten. So uh, so what do you make in terms of, of sort of what went wrong? Because I, I think we saw some some pretty clear kind of Rubio dominance in that game, mm-hmm. but the second unit being a big disappointment. So yeah, well it's uh, pretty clear what went wrong. Right. I... So so what happens to ball movement really is the question I think when when Ricky leaves the game. Yeah, ball, uh, what we can read from the tea leaves right now. Ball movement and defense are the two things that kind of go out the window sometimes when Rubio goes off the court. 
uh, in the first half against the Lakers in the middle of the second quarter, probably earlier the, earlier than maybe they should have done, and that's something that's you know forgivable. It's Sam Mitchell's first game as this team's head coach, really. Um, he he went to his bench early, and he kind of went with the full bench pretty early, and they had no ability to defend. At least they didn't have any interest in defending. I shouldn't say ability because they actually upped their intensity level a lot in the second half. But in their first stint, they got just ran off the floor. Uh, something like a Wolves, um, I think, seven-point lead turned into a, a nine-point deficit in a very short amount of time. They uh, had Levine at the point guard with Martin and Muhammad on the wings, and that led to essentially three three guys who are looking for their own shot on the three wing positions <laughs> and, it did, and believe it or not it didn't work also all three of those guys are not good defensive players that also didn't work nick young and lou williams were having a field day in that first stint um and really bielitsa did not play well in his first stint either he was on julius randall who was really going at him hard um that one through four in that second unit levine martin shabazz and bielitsa is very uh, questionable defensively, and they need to come up with some way to be a good offensive unit in order to offset some of their sort of inherent uh, inherent weaknesses as a defensive core. Gorgie's okay as a backup starting, or sorry, backup center on on defense. I think he can defend in a backup setting pretty well, but he can't cover up all the mistakes that Levine, Martin, Shabazz, and Belitz are going to make at the one through four. Yeah. So, so in that game, what I guess I, I mostly agree with it. Kind of what struck me about the rotations was part of what you said, but um, it leads, to, I guess, to a different question going forward, right? Which is, um, so, so my read so far is that Bielita is a pretty solid, uh, if not man-on-man defender, uh, it's kind of positional defender plus. A very aggressive like rebounder. Yeah, he goes uh, after the boards pretty hard. I didn't know he was going to be that way. Yeah, so that's uh, I mean, so that's nice, and it it kind of complements or is similar to what KG brings, um, at least in term in terms of the boards on uh, you know the first team uh, at the four. And I wonder how much you know, get, kind of given KG's limited minutes uh, availability and uh, the, some of the shortcomings of the second team and KG's reputation for being even probably at this age, sort of like defensive quarterback who can make other guys who are poor defenders around him better by, you know, the, the whole range of things he does, what the, you know, the kind of the value add might be in terms of moving Bielita to the starting four KG to the backup four, realizing probably that you know, minute for minute KG is still the better player. But uh, but do you think that I mean so if you were if you're Sam kind of sitting back now, I guess the question is, do you expect that lineup if you just make that one singular change to, um, to kind of be net better than what you've got right now? Um, my my sense is that it, it probably would be, but I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Yeah, well, I think whatever team Garnett plays with is going to improve, kind of regardless. Um, just because he's the best defensive player on the team when he's on the court. Right, but you've got the. I guess the big thing is the disparity between the quality of the defenders he'd be with on the second team, who are really yeah. bad, versus the first team. Yeah, that's true. Maybe he could sort of patch things up in a in a way that they really need on the second unit, um, and that may actually be true. 
some of it depends on can that first unit against an opposing first unit as games always start hold its own without Garnett I don't know maybe they can maybe they can't it, some of that might depend on Towns who we're going to probably talk more about in a moment when we get to the Nuggets game uh, the second game when Towns was more factor but it I don't know. Uh, that's that's a tough question to answer. I, I'm sure Garnett would help the second unit. I'm sure that they would defend a lot better with him out there next to Gorgi. Uh, but to me, the question would be more in terms of what happens to the starting five yeah. with who, who um, ideally would be playing a lot more minutes. Yeah. Right, uh, than the second unit, which you know, is not entirely clear in some, at least at some positions. Yeah. Uh, which we'll talk about in a bit, but um, I guess so. Before we close out the Lakers. Um, there was a, a key matchup between Wiggins and Kobe. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to get your take on that. I mean, so Wiggins has been sort of getting a, I think, somewhat uh, unfair rap so far as, as being not as productive as he was last year. Uh, an offense that seems to, to be, you know, borne out pretty well by, you know, the limited evidence that we have. But, um, but down the stretch, we saw some pretty good defense. And I'm just wondering sort of what you thought that meant for, the Lakers' approach to the game. I mean, so Kobe actually didn't get certain shots that he usually would have gotten uh, that would have been important shots to take. Um, and so the announcers, I was only able to get the, the Los Angeles feed. I don't know about you, but they were wor- uh, wondering why it was, uh, you know, it was other guys. It's, it's um, you know, Lou Williams taking the last shot. I, I forget whether it was Clarkson or someone else who took one of the important shots down the stretch, and Kobe wasn't even getting them. And I think some of it was just, um, because of the the things that we've seen from Wiggins on defense. But uh, I guess my argument, and I want to see if you agree with it, is that uh, anyone who's possibly like sounding the alarm bell because Wiggins may not be producing on offense quite like we'd expect at this point, uh, at least in the Lakers game, I thought showed really, really kind of mature, useful defense against the kind of um, unique talent that, that Kobe Bryant has in hashtag winning time. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, he definitely did a good job on Kobe. Kobe was shooting all the time for a lot of the second half, as he's known to do. Uh, he kind of had it going for a little bit early in the third quarter, I think, and maybe it was the second quarter or third quarter. Kobe got it going, and it looked like he might have a big night. But kind of as the case has been for Kobe for the last couple of years, he no longer can explode all the way to the hoop very easily, especially when he's out on the perimeter. And he, that means he's going to be jacking up dribble jumpers from quite a ways out all night. He was 8 of 24. I, I guess I wasn't, you know, if if Wiggins would have done that work on Kobe five, six years ago, I, I would have been more astonished and, and really impressed. Um, as it was, I was happy with it, but I guess I didn't think it was a huge takeaway from a, how good is Andrew Wiggins' perspective, just because I think there's actually quite a few defenders in today's NBA who could contain Kobe if he wants to go into that mode. He's just not the same guy anymore, even though no one's going to, no one in his team's going to tell him that. But yeah, so, so, so I guess from, from my perspective that I, I floated there, um, so, um, so Wiggins, you know, has done like other things, I'd say more poorly than he did, particularly toward the last part of last year. And he looks like he's playing really upright, kind of stiff. And do you think there's um, there, there's some sort of injury concern that um, that we might want to think about with with Wiggins? I mean, uh, he played all 82 games last year, right? He played a lot of minutes. Um, and do we see him actually looking 
at all. You know, honestly, I don't know the answer to this question, but um, but I'm wondering whether they're given sort of his posture plus you know, the, the grind on his body. We're looking at either like a actual or potential kind of back issue uh, thing that that either would just kind of slow down his his product you know productivity or keep him out of some games potentially. Well, yeah, the Wolves issued an injury report. I don't know if it was before the Laker game or right after it that he's had some back spasms or back pain. Um, he's obviously playing through it. He's been asked about how much he was worked in the offseason playing for Team Canada, and he just shrugs that off and basically says, I'm young. You know, he's a man of using, like, less than five words to answer any question, and I think he might have just said, like, I'm young, I'll, I'm fine, or something like that. But uh, he obviously hasn't played well. Um, but in our age of... Uh, instant reactions you know ever the the natural reaction to him playing poorly is to point out that he's played poorly and he has played poorly he shot two of ten against the lakers um took a lot of those heavily contested fadeaway jumper type shots that are not really smart for anybody in the nba to take other than maybe like carmelo anthony on a hot night but or kevin durant um he had only one rebound in 29 minutes no assists two turnovers there's no real way to put a positive spin on his performance other than to highlight the solid defense he played on kobe and then um kind of transitioning into the nuggets game he he started to play now the injury was kind of known about and talked about but he again he started and played 31 minutes shot five of 13 which is a little better he mixed in some baseline cuts where uh, he got an offensive rebound one time and tipped it in. There was a play where Gary Harris was defending him, who's a kind of a slightly undersized off guard, and he was fronting Wiggins on the post sort of preemptively before they even fed the wing, and so he just sealed him, and Ricky hit him for a, a, a layup. So he kind of found a few ways to score easily, but he only took one three-pointer against the Nuggets. He missed it, um, and he made, took a lot of those difficult shots. Again, the upside to that game was that he drew – a bunch of fouls and shot 10 free throws, made eight of them. So he got 18 points on 13 shots, which is not bad at all. It's just that uh, his role right now, and maybe this is tied to the back injury or maybe not, uh, he, he just looks like he's a little unsure of what he's supposed to do to get going offensively now that they have Ricky Rubio running the offense, now that plays aren't going to be just designed every time for him to post up. Um and it's just going to be the next stage of his development is figuring out easier ways to score. Because as we saw with Towns in the second game, point easy points are there to be had when you play with uh, Ricky Rubio. And Wiggins should be doing better instead of worse uh, with that in mind instead of kind of what's happened so far. Yeah, so, I mean, so I guess to take a different perspective, right, uh, you might wonder what the effects of, of Sam Mitchell coaching him versus Flip Saunders are, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, kind of injuries notwithstanding, I suspect he had aches and pains last year. Um, maybe similar, maybe not. Uh, but he played again all the the games and a lot of minutes last year. Yeah. And uh, but what seems to me to be the the big difference was, and, and you kind of hit on it with Rubio being available versus not available last year, uh, and the overall makeup of the team this year being different from last year that one of the things that I've been particularly interested in, in seeing is sort of how Wiggins sees himself fitting into this collage of new players who are really, really talented, right? So you basically add um, to the rotation they had last year, Rubio back into it and Towns as a supremely talented guy at the five. 
who's going to introduce kind of new wrinkles to the offense. So I think, I mean, so part of what we see, I think, you know, you mentioned earlier, you think this sort of, you know, Rubio's offense as he runs it, and that might be right. Some of it's Towns' effect, I think, as well, being a good passer from the five, uh, introducing different things to it. And Wiggins not being the, I mean, not being the first or maybe even the second option, Mm -hmm. right? So where it was sort of like bring the ball down and dump it to Andrew last year and then see what happens. That's going to be pretty rare, I think, in in my opinion. Uh, We'll see, I guess. I mean, he's really, he seemed really good at it. It's not really in tune with what the efficiencies are in terms of running a, an NBA offense in 2015-2016. So so I think the question is sort of from the basketball IQ standpoint and the coaching standpoint is what they have this guy do so he's in the right place at the right time. Uh, he has to show that he you know he's sort of a learning player as what a 20-year-old uh, and that he can do different things. He, I mean, I think he already showed that to some degree last year with how good he was on the block. And that was, you know, sort of a necessary place for him in our offense at that point, given what, you know, the, the few other weapons that we had. But, um, but I think that, you know, the benefit of, you know, 10 more games or 20 more games of hindsight of Ricky's sort of activities on offense and where he fits in, Will be pretty like pretty revealing because he's not very assertive. Uh, so, you know, I think last year he was one of the chief beneficiaries of being the kind of young guy who comes into the league. Whether it's KG as a 19-year-old, him as a 20-year-old, probably both equally uncertain. Especially, you know, they've got these physical gifts. Uh, they have some defensive instincts, and they are raw but talented on offense. And we kind of saw. I don't know. I mean, KG was really versatile always, I think, but Wiggins, especially kind of given this role last year by Flip, uh, where he could expect to to do his best work, which was in the ISO block sets. So, um, so can he kind of find those seams, those those gaps and defenses now when he's not going to be the, you know, the first option and the second option? Yeah, I think we're gonna we're gonna learn a lot about both Sam and, and Wiggins. It might be hard to disentangle at times. Mm-hmm. But uh, what do you think about? I mean, about that because I don't know how much of the potential like um, attribution to give to Sam versus Wiggins, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to some degree, it's it's you know, not Sam's offense; it's Ricky's when he's on the floor. I think. Yeah, and they had all these same issues last year because when the Wolves were playing their full unit, as rare as that was, Wiggins tended to disappear more often. Not every time, but. Those were the games when Flip would say he's got, if he wants to be great, you know, he's got to demand the ball. Or you know, great players don't defer to other players is what he said when I asked him if Kevin Martin was getting in the way of Wiggins one night because Martin is very good at cutting to get open and he takes a shot when it's there. So if you share the floor with Kevin Martin, you better be aggressive because the ball's not going to be moving around very much. And yeah. actually, they aren't sharing the floor all that much right now because they're starting in with Prince, and that's probably a ultimately going to be a good thing if they want to get Wiggins more touches but yeah he's got to just figure out ways to get himself involved um, and hopefully he can do that without resorting to the um, post up clear out um, isolation 1994 brand of basketball that they tend to revert to um, to, to get him going because not only is that not good basketball in most scenarios this these days but it's also something Wiggins uh, doesn't want to try to make a career out of, and they want to 
try to do the things that maybe Kawhi Leonard did in San Antonio when he started off as a role player, but over time with minutes, he figured out more and more ways to become an impact player on offense. He's always been good on defense, but uh, yeah, it's it's something to watch ongoing. I'm not worried about Wiggins, but it's just, um, you know, it's, it's worth noting that he's off to a rough start and maybe it's due to the injuries, but we'll see going forward. The Wolves, uh, so they won that game. Their next game was much more of a decisive victory that was on Friday night at Denver. I think they were maybe four point underdogs in that game because, you know, winning in the mile high uh, altitude is always kind of tough. Denver at home traditionally is good, even if their roster isn't all that good, like it's not this year. But that was a really one sided game. Rubio didn't shoot as well this time, um, but he did draw a bunch of fouls and he had a ton of good passes. He was very solid, but Towns was the whole story as Rubio had 28 and 14 in the opener Towns had 28 and 14 in the second game this time it was rebounds instead of assists like Rubio had Towns also had four blocks uh he's I think I read Jim Peterson tweet out that Towns joins Kevin Garnett as the only Timberwolf ever to have 28 14 and four blocks in a game let alone have it be a second game of his career Towns shot the ball well he was moving with the ball taking guys off the dribble drawing fouls finishing after drawing fouls uh, rebounding really aggressively, particularly on defense. Um, he just kind of had control of the whole game. Uh, Garnett was going bananas, cheering on the sidelines when Towns had a good stretch. And I think the third quarter, the Wolves pumped up their lead to around 20, somewhere around 20 points. And this game just never got particularly close, never felt in doubt. So that was a really encouraging win. Um, what were your takeaways from the second game? Yeah, so, I mean, the big story was obviously – Carl Towns and how well he played. I mean, so I guess um, to kind of rain on the parade a little bit, the I mean the the potential defensive opposition. I don't have all of the like sport view stuff on uh, who he was matched up against during his his scoring run, um, but the starters were. Uh, I mean, ESPN even lists them as uh, Fareed as power forward, uh, a guy named Joffrey Lovering as power forward uh, pronunciation probably wrong uh, which yeah, it says something about me or the quality of this guy yeah um, maybe both who he played for uh, so Gallinari uh, as the small forward and we kind of know about his defense and then you've got a backcourt of Moutier and Gary Harris doing what they do in the backcourt so uh, so I think Towns, I mean, even when, you know, when, when he would have been back, uh, matched against the, the backup crew, which includes people like Darrell uh, Arthur, uh, who's part of the Michael Beasley scandly, uh, uh, scandly, scandal a while ago, which um, I had to, to mention. Uh, but so he's, so he's, I mean, he's a legitimate big who plays. You'd be remiss if you didn't mention it. I would be remiss if I didn't mention it. Uh, anytime that uh, Mario Chalmers or, or Darrell Arthur comes across the podcast. Um, you have to point out that they got busted flushing weed down the toilet at the rookie orientation with Michael Beasley as their uh, kind of the face of the whole conspiracy. <laughs> As, as as the supervisor of the whole thing, and yeah. the, and I think the payoff guy, if I remember right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So so anyway, like uh, Arthur played twenty six minutes at the four. Uh, Nikola Jokic Jokic played tw- uh, eighteen minutes. Actually, had a pretty productive uh, ten and nine. But so the bottom line is, like, I think Towns probably wasn't really facing the kind of defense he's going to look at in most games, you know, and. Towns, I think that's no 
diss on him. He looks really, really good. Like, wow, yeah, full disclosure here. Going into the draft, and we're talking about um, the potential trade-offs of a guy with Towns' range of skills, uh, both offensively and defensively, versus the potential like generational skills of uh, maybe wrong generational, but uh, but still generational skills of someone like Jaleel Okafor. So do I, I got to cut you off because I think we had a slight tech slip up there. Were you saying that you preferred Okafor before the draft? Uh, it's a very uh, attorney-like question. Oh, sorry. But uh, so the, I think the answer is yes. Oh, since, okay. Since I'm not on the stand here, um, but the I mean, so 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 far, Tans looks like the better of the two. I'd say. Right, he does more things. He's proving that he can score and play you know, a lot of minutes. He doesn't look like he's um, you know like he's sort of uh, artifact of playing a few choice like uh, important minutes but um, still relatively few relatively few for uh, yeah like he did last year for coach cal mm -hmm. and when he played average um, some of the ones we've already touched on is how uh, their kind of unique uh, combination or, or capability in offense might you know affect other players who are less sort of central to that style of play which i would put rubia or sorry um, wiggins into that category shaban has into that category i think kevin martin will fit into a well because he fits into a lot of different categories well mm -hmm. um, but some of the other potential scorers who we're going to need to depend on and the Nuggets, I just think, are not the, the best kind of rep, you know, representation of the NBA defense Carl Towns will be facing when he's he's um, been scouted a little bit more. Yeah, that's kind uh, of the big – that, that's, that's that, oh, I was going to say that's kind of the big reason to sort of tap the brakes a little bit on the start is just the general idea of who the opponents were, and we've kind of basically hit on that. But the Lakers are bad. The Nuggets are bad. Um, but it's nice that the Wolves beat both of them because, you know – you can still lose to bad teams and beating the bad teams is one of the best ways to get a decent record. So uh, they'll be challenged more in the days ahead for sure. Um, what, let's talk about the rotation kind of that we've seen so far through two games. It's obviously early, but we've seen what kind of a, a relatively consistent two game rotation. The starters are Rubio, who's averaged 31 and a half minutes. Wiggins is getting 30 minutes. That's probably slightly due to the back issue. Prince is getting 22 minutes, but he's starting. Garnett's getting 17 and a half, but he's starting. Towns is getting 32 and a half starting. So really what you have in terms of bona fide starters as far as getting the minutes of starters, you have Rubio, Wiggins, and Towns. And then they have two high-minute bench guys, Kevin Martin and Bielitsa, 25 and 24 minutes a game so far, respectively. Levine's getting 19 minutes. Shabazz and Gorgie are getting 17. Shabazz technically 17 and a half. But what you really have is a core five. I mean, the highest-minute guys are Rubio, Martin, um, Wiggins, Bielitsa, and Towns. Is that what you expected? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Um, I, I actually like the just like kind of some of the distinctions, not all in the starting lineup, mm -hmm. and having 
particularly KG out there. Um, yeah. I think whether the Alec kind of value add from Prince is there, um, like it is from KG, is a way way bigger question. But but yeah, so I think that having you know some guys coming off the bench like Martin Bialitia who can play those minutes. Um, I, you know, I alluded to earlier, sort of you know the big what if if um, if Bialitia were given essentially KG's minutes and and then some, and KG were maybe you know like a 15 minute or 12 to even 12 to 15 minute guy which he might become off the bench um you know do we see sort of a, you know even bigger return or disproportionate return to what essentially he has to bring to the table kg which is defensive help in a lot of different ways from team defense to individual defense uh, with a second unit that's that's you know right now really bad at defense i mean zach levine i think came out in some um, measures like the worst defender in the league last year. Um, mm-hmm. Kevin Martin's renowned as a horrible defender. Gorgie, we got on a lot last year, and I don't think he's, you know, I think he, like, you know, I agree that, you know, with what you said, that he's a fair defender on a second unit against second, like second unit fives, but mm-hmm. that's not saying a whole lot. Um, so, so I think that eventually we'll probably see, uh, if not sort of like in actual practice, um, in reality, um, Bielitsia taking up most of the Garnett slack. That's there. Garnett kind of fading into a more like, you know, kind of even more specified. I think if, especially if you know, we're thinking about coaching as uh, as a, a thing here. Uh, my sense is that the way that coaching has gone with like Popovich playing his best players, no matter who they are, fewer and fewer minutes. Yeah. Like he would find a way to play KG somehow like 13 minutes mm-hmm. rather than 17 or 18 and make those minutes count a lot more, uh, especially when he's got a good, you know, relatively young, in Bielitsia's case, he's not that young anymore, mm-hmm. uh, talented guy to play a larger share of those minutes. So. Overall, I kind of like the rotations for the most part. I'm, I guess, my biggest curiosities are uh, what's going on with the backup point guard situation because we have these huge problems when Levine like enters the game for Rubio. He's basically playing all the backup point minutes, mm-hmm. and um, and I think you know Kevin Martin is just a question mark in my mind because I don't expect him to be here, whether it's next year, maybe even end of this year. Or midway through this year. Yeah, exactly. So so I think, you know, if it's a showcase kind of thing, great. Um, if you're just sort of, you know, putting him in there because that's what you need to do to win games to and, and when we're expecting to win, and even after, you know, this hot 2-0 uh, and zero start, uh, something like 35 games probably realistically. Yeah. Right. Um, is, you know, what is his, you know, his ideal role unless you're showcasing him? I'll tell you what I'm thinking on this rotation right now is that Shabazz needs minimum 10 more minutes a game than they're giving him. He's getting 17 and a half minutes. He had a nice first game. Uh, I think he had 10 points on just five field goal attempts, and then he didn't get it going in the second game. He was like 105 from the floor. Um, I'm just going to confirm. Yeah, 105 in the second game. So he's four of 10 from the field in two games and hasn't found any any rhythm the way that we've seen Shabazz find rhythm because he can get a lot of points in a hurry when you let him. But he's 
got to get more minutes than 17 and a half if if they're serious about development and really if they're serious about trying to win now because I don't I'm not convinced that Shabazz is worse in from a winning perspective than Tayshawn Prince at this point in Prince's career or even Kevin Martin I think Shabazz might be better than both of those guys if you give him the give him a little bit of a leash the way that they give every other key guy a leash and another thing about playing him more perhaps with that starting group is then you'd have Prince go down to the second unit that needs a guy who's not going to shoot. Prince is not shooting. He has four, I think, field goal attempts. No, three field goal attempts in 44 minutes. He's a he's a glue guy. He's playing like the Robbie Hummel role where he's just out there to make the extra pass, you know, space the floor, get out of the way, that kind of thing. And that's fine, and that's that's probably a good thing to have with any unit. But I think with Rubio as the point guard, you need guys that are a little bit more trigger happy uh, around Rubio because he's going to set them up and they need to be ready to score. And maybe more importantly with this team's rotation is that the second unit needs a guy like um, Prince next to Levine and next to Martin. Um, So they don't have so many shoot first guys and they need guys that are a little bit more about positioning and and quick rotation passes and things like that. Plus they need defense and Prince is going to do that better than Shabazz. And so I think relatively speaking, the team, the group that has Ricky Rubio and Andrew Wiggins and Kevin Garnett and Carl Anthony Towns can better accommodate Shabazz's limitations uh, than the one that has Levine and uh, Martin and Bill Itza. So to me, I would have Shabazz mixed in more with the starters, playing more minutes, and probably have Prince take a little bit more of a backseat. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe they really do need Prince's sort of all-around know-how with that first unit to keep this up. But And we'll probably really learn more against the good teams once they start playing the tough Western Conference schedule. But I just have uh, – I'm, I'm more high – I'm higher on Shabazz. I think that he is such a tough offensive player that when the going gets tougher against real solid NBA defense – He's much more likely to have success as he did last year against some pretty good teams than some of the alternatives. But anyway, yeah. that's that's my big rant about the rotation right now. It's still early, real early, but uh, after two games, it does look pretty clear that Shabazz is considered a direct, pure reserve player uh, in terms of coming off the bench and the amount of minutes he's playing. And I'd I'd like to see that change. But anyway. Yeah. Well, when when the when, when the going gets tough, uh, Punchback Wolves. Um, starts to close down until next time. So um, so we're going to leave you, I think, with those thoughts. And uh, next time, oh, so we've got this outline in front of us that has many more things that we can't possibly cover in less than an hour. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're going to, to hit those next time. But some, uh, some teaser previews uh, are um, some other things about the Wolves rotations, including uh, Tyus Jones and, and some other people who might be playing less minutes than they should. Uh, according to some people, at least, and then some around the league and where are they now stuff, um, including how freakishly well Stephen Curry's doing. Uh, there's some updates on the Knicks with some uh, some familiar and new faces like Derek Williams and Kristaps uh, Przingis. Parentheses, uh, exclamation point. Yeah, exactly. Uh, After and, Derek Williams. And how they're, <laughs> they're mixing with Melo. Uh, Stan Van Gundy and the the rejuvenation of the, the Detroit Pistons, or as uh, Jalen Rose would, might say, uh, in a really loud, high pitched Detroit basketball, mm-hmm. uh, and Michael Beasley's forays into to the Chinese league. So, um, so don't sleep on Punch Drunk Wolves. We'll be back with more. But this is uh, this is the podcast for episode twelve. Thanks. Sounds, sounds good.